And I think we would probably encourage other people that have got that vision approach and that story approach to think about, well, how are you going to deliver your vision <laughs> and try and put some structure around that? We're seeing every sort of possible combination or every sort of point along the scale in the companies that we're seeing in the studio and others as well. And I think that's been really interesting is how people approach these things. And as I say, I don't think there's a right answer, but the right answer exists somewhere on that spectrum, finding a, a sort of good balance of those forces. Welcome to the Unlearn Podcast, where host Barry O'Reilly seeks to synthesize the superpowers of extraordinary individuals to think big, start small, and learn fast. Here's your host, Barry O'Reilly. Welcome to the Unlearn Podcast. On this show, I'm delighted to be joined by Gareth and Jason Edge, brothers and co-founders of Thoughtforma, a Nobody Studios company focused on the no-code, low-code space. Now, I had the pleasure of meeting these two a number of years ago at a conference where we happened to be standing beside one another, and I simply asked them, what are you working on? Their answer was inspiring. They told me that they were building a platform that would allow ordinary humans to become amazing developers and build their products and bring their ideas to life. I was naturally intrigued. Over the last number of years, it's been a pleasure to get to know them, work with them, and see Thoughtformer become the business and platform that it is today. You'll actually notice that Ovations, the product that we built with Ray Leonard Jr., one of our recent guests, was actually created on Thoughtformer. It's an exciting time with many more exciting and twists and turns ahead. But before we get started, why don't we learn what was their real inspiration to start building this business? Seeing the struggles and difficulties that organizations and individuals have when it comes to, to building software. It's just hard. It's just a hard thing to do. Even when you've got skilled technologists that have got great track records, it's still really difficult to deliver robust solutions. And I think when you couple that with the fact that there's this massive shortage in technical skills out there today, but the demand is still rising ex exponentially. It just means that there's like a ton of projects and ideas that are just never seeing the light of day. And that's the thing that keeps me up at night. That's the thing that puts the fire in my belly. This notion of ideas staying locked in people's heads is just completely unacceptable to me. And the major turning point for me was when I attended a conference in in Lisbon, Web Summit, which is back in 2017. And Al Gore was giving the keynote speech. Essentially, I don't know whether you've ever heard him speak or whether, whether your listeners have heard him speak, but if you have, he is such a compelling speaker. It, it's untrue. And I think he basically gave a call to arms to all the technologists in the audience, where he was basically saying that the future of fixing the climate issue was with us, it was with the technologists, it was with the people in that audience. And that was that stand-up moment for me where I just got goosebumps and knew that I needed to do something. I had a responsibility here. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know. I don't think I'm going to come up with the idea to fix climate issues, but maybe I can help other people to do that. And it was that moment where I thought, you know what, if I can make technology a bit easier for people to use, then maybe people that are not necessarily technologists, but have these great ideas, could start bringing them to life and making a real impact in the world. That was the turning point for me. You know, I came straight back from that 
conference. Knew I needed to speak to Jason about it because, you know, we share a similar kind of mindset on these things and pitched a very kind of early sketchy idea to him. He started getting the buzz as well. And it was from that moment on that we started to figure out the beginnings of Thoughtformer, really. What were some of your initial thoughts, Jason? All these great things. You know, your brother went to Lisbon for a nice weekend and then he suddenly comes back and says, listen, we all need to quit our jobs, stop doing what we're doing today, and we're going to start building a company. And, and by the way, you need to help me. Is that the moment where you say he had too good a time or, or was he speaking sense? What sort of struck you? It came at a time where I was also already working on something that actually seemed as though that could be the answer to what he was trying to do. It was just a bizarre confluence of things coming together. Just before I answer that question, he has just reminded me about the ZX81 days and Sinclair computers. I will just get this in because I felt as though he kind of almost sabotaged my computing career back in those days. He'll remember that I also had a Sinclair ZX Spectrum, which He's only recently confessed that he actually got a wire coat hanger and stuck it in the back of that computer to see what might happen. What actually happened is the computer then ceased to work from then on. I was totally mystified about that. But it's Here's my official apology. Sorry, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> only a couple of decades later, but hey, we got the truth. Yeah. yeah, so he said we have some history and it is largely good, but not always. <laughs> I was able to sort of dovetail into his vision a bit. And we've sort of come at this pursuit of the sort of ideal no-code platform, really, which, which is really our answer to the Al Gore problem. I approached it by a, a slightly unlikely route because I've been working for a consultancy that specialised in implementing something known as master data management systems. And for those that aren't familiar, these are systems that allow you to pull together all the information about something that you care about, wherever that in fact information happens to be. And it's usually in a whole host of systems. And then display all that as a complete or sort of central golden view of that thing. And so the things you might care about could be customers or products or services, for example. And the problem is that there's often a disparity between all of those systems that are feeding your golden view. Or worse, people don't even know that those data sources are even available. That's often yeah. the case in large organizations. And big projects that cost billions of dollars and always fail to live up to expectation, right? Absolutely. It's a big deal for organizations. And so as implementers of these things, we were finding ourselves hitting major issues every time we were asked to implement a system for these people. We took a step back from that and said, look, we need a wider view, data governance and data management within these businesses so that you're able to build a picture of, of all the data and the quality for any shape or size of organization. But it turns out it's a big deal to be able to find something that's got the flexibility to help you manage what often turns out to be a sort of uber catalog of an organization's information, you know, especially if that organization is a government. And one of my tasks was to lead a team to design the data strategy for the government of a Middle Eastern nation. So there's some big problems to solve. And there are tools for data governance, but I was finding that I was always hitting obstacles and limitations very quickly when we were trying to use these in practice. There is relevance to what I'm saying here. So I sort of set about rethinking what you would need to have the flexibility to capture any information that I want without having to redesign and rebuild databases and systems, you know, to be able to put that kind of tool in the hand of a, of a consultant so that they could configure the thing rather than have to 
rely on people to build stuff for them. It turns out that the ideas I came up with are so flexible that you can actually apply them to describe and manage anything, even all the ingredients of a web or mobile application. And so that realization became the underpinnings of where we are today and what we're doing with, with our no-code platform, Thoughtformer. I love this. So much of the stories, even how we all met, serendipitously at a conference where you know, the classic standing there and there was two guys that looked like each other vaguely standing and saying, hi, and what are you working on? And you tell me we have this platform that we're building that allows anyone potentially to become a create and build and bring their ideas to life. So instantly I was curious about what you were doing when you shared that. But it's sort of these serendipitous moments. As you go, you go, you're inspired by Al Gore, Jason working on a similar sort of thematic idea about how to enable people to solve complex problems, you know, in a more convenient, simple, easy way. And yet you two come together, even as brothers, and start to figure this out for yourselves, which is fascinating. Most people, as you say, families barely can get on. And here you two guys are founding a company together, having to deal with each other every day. So tell us a little bit about getting started as well. Because for most people, I think what was really fascinating and really admirable, actually, is that you guys didn't just sit there, have an idea, write a pitch deck, raise $10 million and start working on this thing. Like you guys have done it all. You've been in the garage, you know, you've sort of worked, consulted half time, three days a week. So you could work four days a week and every night, waking hour and bringing this product together. So to me, this is a real testament of how startups should be built. It's not a, I've got a pitch deck. There's 10 million bucks. I'll see you in 18 months with a prototype. You guys have sort of earned your way every step of the way. So tell people a little bit about that, because that's real stuff. Tell them what your own experience is about managing, getting it up and running, starting to figure out what the product was, finding that balance between having to work on something to give you the platform, if you will, to sort of go work on your passion project. Because most people never get there because they're afraid to leave the high paying consulting job or the safety of an IBM. Share a little bit about really what you had to unlearn along the way. Well, I'll start this one off. For me, I feel quite fortunate that I was so naive at the start. I just thought we had a great idea. I knew that we could deliver. I knew that Jason and I had worked together on various things throughout our careers, and we knew how we worked together. I think I felt personally fell into the trap of that kind of field of dreams scenario. You know, it was like... If we build it, the users are going to come, right? Why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't they? That was the first unlearning for me. It was like, no, it doesn't matter how good you think your product is, how good you think you are at delivering stuff, startup land will just knock you to your knees <laughs> every single day, <laughs> every single day. It seems like there's just roadblocks at every single step of the journey, you know, whether it's not having enough capital, you know, you, you talked about as having to manage that. I had left a consulting role where I'd, I'd managed to build a little bit of capital in the bank, which in essence was kind of seed money for this project. But that didn't last long. So it was kind of like, what do we do now? We really do have to bootstrap this. We've got to find contracts to do on the side. We've got to kind of really hustle our way through. Capital was a problem pretty early on. Realizing what you're not good at, like you very quickly realize that 
there's a ton of skills that you just know nothing about or very, very little about. How important marketing is, how important financial planning, how to build companies, how to build startups. It's all a massive, huge learning curve from the outset. You quickly get quite familiar with the term product market fit. That comes into your vernacular early on. And it's like, how do we do this? You talk about serendipitous moments. And honestly, the timing of us meeting you was one of those serendipitous moments for us. And I think that if there's one bit of advice I could give to anybody that's embarking on a startup, find a good advisor, find a good coach, find a good mentor early on, somebody that's been through it, because you just can't do it alone. You cannot do it alone. The things that you introduced us to early on started to put some structure around the chaos which is good for me. I don't operate well in chaos. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. Organized chaos is fine. It's just pure chaos is exactly what it is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's fascinating to hear you, you share this, right? Because it's one of the things, you know, as all of us, we've all built companies had hard times and trying to figure out how to do a pitch deck for the first time or do a marketing positioning so you can attract the right customers you want to attract. The easiest thing in the world is to simply describe what you do, and it's the hardest thing in the world at the same time. I think it's one of the things we you probably are seeing even more and more in the studio, right, as you're exposed to other companies that we're building, is like how hard it is to define what that product is about and what's unique about it, and then attract the right customers to it. It's super hard. Interesting. What about you, Jason? Like, What were some of the aha moments for you on this journey as you've seen you know, working for, again, from both of you being in very, you know, established, great roles and taking the plunge to sort of do this. One of the things I've learned along the way, and I'm still learning really, is that there are different ways to do this. And there's probably no right answer, actually. But it's really interesting. You mentioned the studio and some of the other companies. It's very interesting to sort of look at the different styles of approaching this pretty chaotic problem that you're trying to solve. Reflecting on the way we did it and then maybe comparing it to others. There's one way of doing it. We've obviously come from a sort of a career of having to be at the front end of delivery. So we're sort of delivery people. We're delivery focused. And there's a lot of structure that goes around that. We've naturally sort of felt fallen back on those ways of thinking. And I think that's helped us. And I think that's probably something we've, we've brought into the studio as well. I mean, Gareth is a master at sort of project management and putting structure around things. And he's introduced that into a number of organizations. And we've, we've really benefited from that. We do get on very well, and that's, that's a genuine thing. But we've also had this very structured way of approaching everything we've done over the past few years as well. We're applying agile processes, but we're doing it properly, and we have a daily stand-up, and we have a backlog, and we have sprints. And all of that has continued. So I'm, I'm mentioning that because there's another way of approaching it, which is from rather than just sort of evidencing getting stuff done and delivering stuff, you could do it from the storytelling side of things. So let's do it more from the vision. Let's get people into the vision of the thing and lead that way and then hope that the delivery comes along afterwards. And then obviously there's a whole spectrum that sort of marries those two things. But it's been really interesting because I think we're at the delivery end. There's a story end. And I think everybody really needs to find that sort of happy marriage in the middle somewhere. And that's what we're learning. We're trying to get more towards the other end of the scale. And I think we would probably encourage other people that have got that vision approach and that story approach to think about, well, how are you going to deliver your vision <laughs> and try and put some structure around that? 
we're seeing every sort of possible combination or, or every sort of point along the scale in the companies that we're seeing in the studio and others as well. And I think that's been really interesting is how people approach these things. And as I say, I don't think there's a right answer, but the right answer exists somewhere on that spectrum, finding a, a sort of good balance of those forces. This is one thing that's really, I've noticed you two really grow into over the last months, years, however long it's been. It's helpful for people to understand. One of the fascinating things about ThoughtForma as a no-code, low-code serverless platform in a venture studio like Nobody Studios, what's fascinating is that ThoughtForma becomes the building block where we can build other companies on top of ThoughtForma. And in that process, you know, ThoughtForma sort of has these customers of the platform that help challenge the platform and prove it, help us drive a backlog to build what we need in ThoughtForma, not just to support the companies like Ovations and Ray Leonard Jr., who was on the show recently, which is built on top of ThoughtForma, but it creates this lovely sort of virtuous feedback loop where both companies are sort of getting better together. So that's one of these fascinating advantages that you have as a venture studio is you've portfolio companies that help one another. I think what's even fascinating, as you were describing both the way both of you have embraced the startup journey and recognizing your strengths in delivery and breaking things down and getting stuff delivered and areas to improve, as you said, like the story, the narrative. It, what's so enjoyable for me to see, you know, is when we have founders who are very vision focused with their company, seeing you guys go, well, hey, all right, this is all great. Great idea. But like, here's how, you know, how have you thought about breaking this down? And this is the process we use to break stuff down. Why don't we use this process? We can help you, you know? And it's really uh, like enjoyable to sort of from maybe 10 feet back and see how the different companies inside the studio are actually helping one another improve together. And that is sort of what you dream about because you don't see that in venture capital, right? If you're in Y Combinator, you're competing against the team beside you by definition. It's all about who can get the attention, affection of the Y Combinator partners because they're the ones who are going to put the next round of funding in and decide which company sort of it's a bit like American Idol or something like this, where everybody wants Simon Fuller to vote for them. So then they, they become a star. But what we're seeing, you know, is people generally helping one another and in growing together. That's really, really fascinating to hear you both talk about that. So let's dive more into the no code space, because I think that is, again, this area I think needs to be a little bit on learning about. And you as a team sort of made a bet on the technology that you were going to use to build this, I would say a really early bet on a technology that was in its infancy probably four years ago, but is now, I feel like, coming into its own, which is serverless technology. So can you share maybe a little bit about help people understand like what is serverless, first of all, what maybe a little bit about the no-code movement, but I think you're ratcheting it up even further and starting to play with this idea of intelligent no-code, which I think is an innovation on top of that. I'd love to hear you both sort of talk a little bit about how did you make this bet on an emergent technology, first of all, and then how have you sort of leveled that up? While most people are just starting to embrace this new technology, you're actually sort of riffing on top of it already, which is, again, very exciting. One of the things we recognized about two and a half years ago was that 
because we were bootstrapping, because our resources were constrained, we needed to do something very smart to sort of almost multiply our output as developers. There aren't many no-code no providers that are working with two developers, which is effectively where we are at the moment. We had a sort of initial version of our platform in one technology stack a while back, and it was giving us all sorts of issues. And so over a Christmas break, I took it on myself to just completely rewrite the thing. I didn't even mention it to Gareth. I just did it over the break. But I did it slightly differently because one of the problems you've, you've got with developing is this thing called technical debt, where you make decisions. And often the decisions that you make store up something that you're going to have to going to have to solve later later down pay the back if you will oh, yeah, debt, yeah so yeah technical debt but one of the things i wanted to and we had got that because this previous stat gave us that and so i thought is there a way around this technical debt thing so here's another unlearning moment really where what i realized was if rather than writing just starting again and rewriting the system if rather than doing that i actually did it using templates i'm writing the templates that are writing the system <laughs> then it means that if I want to make some pretty significant changes in approach, architectural approach or whatever, I can just change the templates and regenerate the system. Now, without that, if you want to go back and change the way you've approached things, it's usually a massive undertaking and usually the kind of thing that most people won't bother with. So, you know, you live with your technical debt and your, your system, it suffers as a, as a result. So we've now got a system where we don't ever write a line of code that becomes thought former. We, we change templates and those templates we can regen. So we can actually rebuild thought former from scratch in 10 minutes and we can make very, very significant changes and just do experiments on things and just see, you know, what we like and what we don't. So we've got that approach and I would recommend that to everybody. That's a key unlearning, I think, moment in terms of how to build things. That's the way that thought former's code is built. But we also wanted that same kind of flexibility on the back end. We took the decision to build on what was then a, an emerging technology, which is known as serverless technology, which is a bit of a misnomer because it implies that your back end has no servers. Nothing could be further from the truth, really. There is a, an absolute wealth of servers that power serverless. The difference is that we as developers don't have to know about any of that at all. And so you've got a number of sort of cloud service providers that do this for you. And we can just use that technology. So the great benefit of so-called serverless technology is that we don't have to manage servers in the cloud. We don't have to worry about security. We don't have to worry about whether we've got enough of them. We don't even have to have any standing around waiting for you know, our users to actually request something. So serverless technology is there for the seconds or milliseconds that you need it, and then it disappears again. And so you're charged on that basis. So Thought former benefits from this serverless technology. We get all the strength of the security. You know, there's an army of people looking after the security of the thing. There's an army of people looking after making sure there are enough of them for all the countless people doing serverless stuff. Thoughtformer has that. And every application that's built on top of Thoughtformer also benefits from that as well. So, you know, if you're looking for the quickest way to build this a serverless application, well, Thoughtformer gives that to you, although you would never know. And so so a couple of things there I wanted to just bring up was, you know, our approach to building Thoughtformer and then serverless as well. And then maybe, Gareth, if you want to talk about no-code and its future. Yeah, absolutely. So the no-code space, I just think, is in a massively exciting 
point in time right now. You know, you don't have to trawl far to see the the headlines and the statistics from all the the gardeners of the world, if I'm allowed to say that. We're talking like a $30 billion market already and growing. These are tools like Airtable for simply ones. Even the Google suite could be stitching these products together using Zapier. But what we're talking about here is actually a, a software platform that anyone can basically drag and drop an application and design it and then suddenly have it live in moments. That's right. And there are a number of players out there that would probably claim that they're doing a similar kind of thing. But I think one of the things that we've picked up on in our research is that when you scratch the surface, they're not offering this holistic kind of complete solution. They're still leaving these big gaping holes, which still require lots of expertise. You know, they still leave leave handoffs from designers or they still need data experts you still need infrastructure engineers to kind of scale your back end if you know your servers and all that kind of stuff if you start to get a modicum of success so that brings us full circle to the original problem which is that there's not enough skilled technologists in the world let's just pause this for a minute so people understand when people hear about anyone being able to build apps they think maybe if they've heard of products like bubble where you can build your own app with no technical expertise. And and sure, you can build a web page that will stand up and look cool and bubble. But once you get to any sort of sophistication, like trying to build e-commerce functionality, or maybe you build an app that takes off and you have more than 10 people looking at it, suddenly the promise of being able to build this all on a little platform suddenly becomes a headache because your system isn't scalable. It's not secure enough. It's basically you've got rubber band and sticky tape and the whole thing starts to fall to pieces. What you're describing here with ThoughtForma is you have infinite scalability, security, infrastructure from day one. You just actually never even have to think about it. What you need to think about is building a product you potentially love. That's exactly right. So that's where we're we're adding the intelligence to no code. We think that this is going to be a category defining approach to no code that nobody's doing right now. It's where we take all the good intentions of the no code movement, but complete the picture, adding the know-how, adding the intelligence, playing the part of these experts that are still required in the other players' tools, and guiding the user to building their applications. We can use intelligence to help people actually build out their interfaces. It can be giving recommendations and assistance throughout the build process. And then once they've actually managed to get something live, we can start to use intelligence, use data points to help people improve and optimize their application and ultimately their business. You know, we can start to look at things like where have they positioned their call to actions? How much friction is in their path to purchase or their customer? acquisition journeys and help them improve those. Furthermore, we can start to do things like suggesting changes that they can test out with their users, you know, almost like automated A-B testing that they can just test out at the click of a button, which none of these competitors can do. So I think there's a really exciting shift that we want to be the pioneers for within the no-code world, which is to bridge that gap of lack of know-how using intelligence. 
there's another end of the scale as well, which is that there are plenty of large organizations that really dismiss no code because they do have the know-how and they're saying, yeah, well, the trouble is if we go down this path, we're locked in. And that was one of the biggest objections that came up in a survey was, we're not even going to go here because we're locked in to your platform. And so we've taken a very different approach to that. In fact, we think we're the first platform to say, we won't lock you in at all. If you want to actually use Thoughtformer to build your application and then press a button to export the code and all of the configuration for the backend infrastructure to run that, have at it. You can have it. Because we think people will still want to be using Thoughtformer to evolve their product anyway. We certainly don't want lock-in to be you know, one of those things that prevents people from using this. And so, you know, if you want to just use Thoughtformer as your, your effectively your building tool and then export it and go and run it yourself and then go around that circle again, that's fine by us. I just love all the contrarianism that's built into this product and this product strategy, if you will. The lockup one is a great example. I can't tell you the amount of people I know who've used Bubble to like start prototyping their product and then realize it might have success and then they're back doing a rebuild and it's costing them 50 times the amount. With Thoughtformer, the notion of a rebuild doesn't really exist. You're doing a build from day one. And if the thing goes to the moon, you're like, great, now it's all on serverless. So instead of it costing me tens of thousands of dollars a year to operate, it's still costing me 150 bucks a month. And it's great, you know? So these are like huge innovations for people to start to realize. Or that notion of building the intelligence into the application. So as more and more people build on Thoughtforma, you start to recognize patterns that work for conversion funnels, be it acquisition or e-commerce, as you're saying, Gareth. And a platform that is so data enabled, starting to hint or give builders real feedback to say, no, don't put the checkout button at the bottom, put it right up here at the top, because there's a, a 7% increase in purchases from applications that do that. And if people choose not to do it, well, great. But what you'll tell them what their efficiency of their checkout process is and let them decide. Or if they want to run small experiments, literally triage a copy of the application and send it to a small targeted group of users and then be able to actually get real evidence to say, oh, right, we've tried this new book outflow with 1% of our customers and it's outperforming by 10% on the checkout. So let's just flip the whole application that way. You know, like this is the, the stuff of dreams. I think most people would love to say or dreamed about when they were building software. And yet here we are on the path to, you know, putting that into the product and taking it to market. So for most people out there now, they're probably sitting there going like, okay, this sounds too good to be true. So let's talk a little bit about it being true. And one of the first products that we built in the studio was Ovations. So Ray Leonard Jr., who was literally on the show the other week, talking about this on-demand events platform, which is actually built on Thoughtforma. So people can go to ovations.com and see Thoughtforma in action, essentially, behind the scenes, just like they can go to thoughtforma.com and start to look at sign up to the beta program and maybe be, you because know, we're, we're, we're actively looking for people who want to start being partners to build on the platform and go on that journey with us. Tell us a little bit about, you know, what you've learned as you sort of had to go through this process of building your own company while building another company on top of your platform and some of the joys of that. And then a little bit of what you're excited about ahead. Firstly, the project of building out ovations within Nobody Studios has been, I would say, 
the first big sort of major milestone on our growth story, really. We're first introduced to Nobody Studios, which was kind of April, May time last year. Thoughtformer was very junior in terms of where our vision was and where it actually was capability-wise. And so Ovations was like the perfect, perfect project for us to sort of get our, our teeth into and to, to sort of figure out where we were, kind of benchmark Thoughtformer at that point in time, but then really sort of push us to build the capabilities necessary to support such a quite an intricate application. But it, it's a two-sided marketplace. It has some pretty intricate integrations and workflow processing going on. You know, we're handling things like people's schedules, calendaring, there's marketplace payments going on, including kind of revenue splitting between different parties. All that's done without a single line of code. And to get us there, we had to do some enormous heavy lifting to add additional capabilities to Thoughtformer. But the kind of things that we've learned along the way is how to do that smartly. We don't want to be the bottlenecks in the future for when somebody needs a different integration. We've done a bit of pattern matching and recognition of what does it take to build an API integration into Thoughtformer. Okay, let's figure out how we can do that codelessly so that the next developer using Thoughtformer can add their own. And that's what we're, we're literally just about to push that feature out the door within the next couple of weeks or so, which is a key point in our growth story, because that now opens up extensibility to our users and allows them to self-service. So they can hit upon a feature that Thoughtformer doesn't currently support, codelessly build it themselves, but also then share that back into the community. So it kind of starts to self-propel and start this flywheel effect of just Thoughtformer building itself, which again is just another super exciting feature that we can't wait to just unleash on the world. So as you kind of mentioned, Barry, you know, the next step in our growth story is now to get other people heavily using the product and to actually start building applications themselves and for also to extend our product for us by using this these extensibility capabilities that I just mentioned. And the growth story just starts to grow itself and tell itself. Yeah, it's amazing. You know, like, like I said, being on this journey with you guys along the way has been fun, hard, fascinating, frustrating. Like, you know, there's, I'm sure we could just go through the Collins dictionary of adjectives and we'd still not be there. I think what is the most inspiring thing is not only watching the business grow, but watch you two guys grow as entrepreneurs and business founders and technologists. And, you know, like you say, opening this product up now to other people to sort of like you're gifting it really to the technology community and see what other innovations spawn out of, as Jason was describing, this templatized way you've built the product that other people will be able to contribute templates to it and take it even further. And I think that's one of the things for me, I'm just excited and fascinated to go. In closing for you guys, you shared, Gareth, where you think it's going. Jason, what about you? What's one thing that you're excited about as you look ahead and over the next sort of few weeks and months? I think coming back to Gareth's original starting point, you know, the whole Al Gore calling on that army of technologists. For me, it's the fact that, yeah, it's an army of technologists that's going to solve this. But 
let's make that army bigger so that it's not the traditional technically skilled people that form that army. It's now everybody that fancies doing this. So we're into that realm of the citizen developer. Anybody can set themselves up as a developer now. You don't need those technical skills. And I think that's a really exciting place to be. You know, we've just talked about extending thought former. So there's a complete opportunity for people. Maybe that people are not, are not in the not wanting to build an application, but what they could be doing is building features that become part of Thoughtformer and even monetize those, you know, so they can benefit from, from doing that. So I think it's this whole, this realm of possibilities that makes technologists of more people, helps people to solve more of the world's problems, and that we're, we're all managing to, to have a great time with technology. <laughs> Couldn't think of a better way to cap it. It's been great to have both of you on the show. Like I said, I think this is the end of the beginning, if you will. And we will just keep going, hopefully for many years doing this. And I'm sure we'll have you back on the show again. So thanks for being on. Thank you, Barry. Thank Thank you, Barry. Barry.